This is Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast, bringing you the latest practices in the world of fiber networks and plus architecture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fiberside Chat. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, when it comes to network management, the industry has seen a shift away from legacy network management systems. Why is that? What's driving this trend? And why should companies who've not considered making this transition jump on this proverbial bandwagon? Well, joining me today to answer these questions and more, including the six pillars of a robust network management, is Dustin Sutton. He's the president of 3GIS. Dustin, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dustin, let's start here. Why are people moving away from legacy network management systems, and what are they moving towards? The main reason we're seeing people move away from legacy management systems are are really for competitive purposes. I think for far too long, as if we've all had internet service providers, uh, we've seen the service go down as, as terms of customer service. We've seen uh, performance go down. We've seen more and more time to turn up new services. Everyone wants their internet quickly. And those things have have really impacted the profitability of, of most service providers. So we're seeing companies have to really adapt and become more competitive in their local areas. And this competition worldwide has really driven the adoption of uh, higher performance systems to, to be able to better service their customers. So the data we sh- we have shows about 60% of service providers, as we categorize them, have made the transition to a more modern architecture already. But so we're we're focused our efforts on you know supporting a good percentage of those 60% that are existing customers, but also helping those other 40% understand how they can some cut their costs. They can um, get out of what we call vendor lock-in, which I think every industry probably has, Tyler. It's just you buy a software that only one company can support. Maybe they've written in some proprietary language, and Mm -hmm. those things really drive up costs. They really drive down your ability to get service when you need them or or to configure, customize the solution. So those are big reasons that people are adopting modern, really open uh, platforms that lots of people can work on, lots of people can understand how to use. You can hire employees that already have those skill sets. So all of those things together are helping companies become more competitive. And and it's really the bottom line. It's, it's why companies are driving toward more modern applications as a whole, but especially in our industry. Absolutely. So today, we're going to spend a large portion of our conversation diving into those six pillars and discussing what they are and why they're the right choice for companies these days. And so the first pillar of a modern, robust network management system is that it's web-based. So Dustin, what are the benefits of being web-based? This is one we could probably spend a a long time on, but I'll I'll try to keep it to the (laughs) the really important ones. I think being web-based First and foremost, it's just about ease of access. Uh, historically, we've we've had companies who've really struggled to have enough hardware to keep all of them in sync for these very monolithic applications, and they were only designed for a few select individuals in the company. And those individuals had to have big machines, and you know it was IT burden to support and maintain those machines. So. Really, the web base is a, is allowed companies to distribute information both 
the entering of that information and also the access to that information out to people in all kinds of different parts of their organization. So that's been a big driver of, of you know, companies who are being able to better compete in the marketplaces, access to really good quality information in easy to use formats, which web-based really makes it easy to use for more pe- most people. Mm-hmm. I think we've all used applications like CAD um, that, you know, if you're not an expert, it's very intimidating. You know, our desire when we set out about 12 years ago was to make something that wasn't intimidating so that people more readily adopted it. We're more willing to put data into it. We're more willing to get in there and find that information without having to submit a ticket to the GIS department mm-hmm. and wait two days on it. You know, now two days is a long time if I'm waiting on my internet service to get turned up. So, I think the web-based application has made more people willing to get in there and learn it, adopt it, use it. And that's been a big part of, of why we think web-based is, has been very important to our industry, not just obviously for our customers. We have competitors who, who are very web-based applications, and we you know definitely think they're better competitors than the ones that are legacy desktop solutions. So. Absolutely. And th- there's a scalability that comes along with um, with being web-based, right? Where you can ramp up computing power and add users. And, and that to me provides some flexibility for companies that would like for the system to grow along with them, right? Is that something that plays into the decision-making process? I think many companies now have, in addition to maintaining their network, they have uh, aspirations of growing. You know, they have to get more customers in more area and offer more services. And scalability, both in terms of the the one place that you have a server that you have to scale up and down and and also just the ability to roll out access to other users in, in different parts of the organization quickly really gives a competitive advantage to those companies who have gone this direction because they they can ramp up double their computing power through you know virtual machines to uh, overnight or, or much more quickly than that to allow companies or different groups in their organization to uh, have access to the system to for it to always be performant so that they can ramp up for a large job. It may take two, three, four months, and then they can spend those resources down so they're not paying significantly more than they need for, for hardware resources. So mm-hmm. um, this, the last, we've seen the last three or four years, uh, starting with, I think, the boom that Google Fiber uh, started a few years ago with uh, new build-outs. That has really uh, been a, a spark as far as companies going to more web-based or, you know, even hosted solutions. And I think with everything going on in our, I guess, our country and the world today with uh, the COVID-19 virus, that we're seeing a lot of companies who are really, because they've got legacy systems and they're um, and they're struggling to have dispersed workforces, then it's really, really impacting them more so than the companies who have a hosted solution or a web-based solution that they have VPN access to because it, these companies who aren't prepared with modern technology are, are having to either lessen their support for their customers or subject people to going into the office to use these applications. And, and that, of course, creates liability. So it's really been an interesting uh, few weeks as we've had customers that, you know, if they've got an on-premise deployment, they're, they're calling in saying, hey, I need to, to work out some VPN access for my people. Uh, which, you know, that, that that can be a challenge for some of them who aren't uh, really advanced IT people. Mm-hmm. But our hosted customers haven't missed a beat. So they've been working today just like they were working two months ago. So 
um, I, I think as a result of this, we'll see more, not just web-based companies, but companies saying, hey, I want your software to service or your hosting out, you know, options. And, and there's a couple of good competitors out there as well as us that, that offer these things. And I think we'll, we'll see some companies really start looking into those things and, and understanding how they can help in times like this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that absolutely makes sense that just the, the current atmosphere and how things are right now has caused companies to maybe reevaluate some things and reevaluate some priorities. And you see that really affecting the market here. We do. Uh, it's, I think, of course, we're seeing some slowdown when companies are saying, hey, let's wait. Let's, this has given us new information, uh, things we haven't expected before. Let's, let's reevaluate what we're doing and make sure that we're making the right choice, which we applaud. Obviously, we want companies to move forward, but we want them to move forward with the right solution. And, and I think companies, if, if they've not previously need to really evaluate what is their, uh, what is their pos- policy toward hosted solutions mm-hmm. that hopefully will, will be accessible in times like this where you need people out of the office, uh, not just voluntarily, <laughs> you know, you need to close your office and make people go home. And I hope this is the last time we ever have to do this, but if it's not, <laughs> uh, we want to right. be prepared because, you know, or tornadoes hit the office, you know, or something like that because we're in Alabama, Tyler, and we have, we have tornadoes. So <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know out, out your way if you have to struggle with that or not, but. We do. So. Yeah, being a being a Texas kid, I've I've experienced that before, and so uh, so yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about when we talk tornadoes. That's for sure. But uh, hey, Dustin, let's move on to the second pillar. How's that sound? Okay, sounds great. All right. So the second pillar is using a geographic information system or GIS platform. So tell us a little bit more about this. Obviously, it's it's in the name, right? So what what are the benefits of this? Yeah. So as you look at kind of the, the nature of our business, utility companies, service providers, uh, municipalities, most of their assets related to their network are, are somewhere in the real world. Uh, they've got a location, whether it's in a building in a server room or if it's on the corner across the street, it all has a location. And so they have to not only know how that's connected to their network, but also maintain that asset, replace that asset over time. And so location plays a huge role in just how they run their business. So I think that's um, you know that's that's at the core of why we say a GIS platform makes the most sense for, for applications like this. But uh, I think there's a couple other reasons. I think one of them is just um, we love maps. Uh, I'm a I don't know about you, but I'm a visual person. Uh, sure. I, a lot of times I have to just stand up and write on the board if I want to say something, just because it helps me think as I'm as I'm writing and other people see it or draw pictures. So I think that also is is a big part of it. As I like looking at a map when I'm understanding the network and how it's connected together. It's much easier for most of the people that we've interacted with to look at that dot on the map and understand what that is versus a, a row in a spreadsheet or a, a database and, and how all that's connected together and how it all works together. The, the GIS really make, helps that make sense. And a lot of companies have traditionally drawn pictures and had that in like a CAD system mm-hmm. stored somewhere. And then they've had the information in another system and they've tried to link them together. You know, some successfully, some unsuccessfully. And I think a lot of legacy systems, that's what they're used to. And GIS allows you to roll that all into a, a, a big, nice, pretty picture that's connected together that you can select. And one of the coolest things I think, uh, it's probably not cool to anyone, but tech geeks like me, <laughs> but it's uh, spatial indexing, allowing 
companies who have worldwide or nationwide or statewide assets not to have to query up a, a large database to find that thing that's you know a mile from my office that can select something on a map or do a spatial query so that very quickly and easily in you know a couple seconds have lots of information at their fingertips rather than the database having to crunch for an hour to return them results. Mm-hmm. So the bigger companies really struggle with that. The smaller companies, that's probably not as, as important to them. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, last month, Jimmy Hall was on a uh, market scale podcast talking about the third pillar, which is data integrity, right? And so let's talk a little bit more about data integrity and why that's so important, because this is the third pillar here of the uh, the six pillars. Yeah, and, and Jimmy's podcast will probably be a lot more informative. So I would say uh, go go listen to Jimmy uh, if you missed that one. He's a he's he's been working in this industry for twenty five years. He came from AT and T, so he has a lot of uh, first hand knowledge of why you know accurate data is important, right? So um, whether it's truck rolls to the wrong location to troubleshoot an outage that ends up taking companies three or four hours to troubleshoot something that t- should have taken an hour. I think that's that's been one of the biggest things we've seen is, you know, again, I keep going back to the competitive nature of the marketplace now versus 10 years ago. It's companies are understanding that in their, their poor uh, customer service, whether it's out of effort, out of data integrity in this case, it doesn't really matter. The customer's unhappy. And I think data, data integrity has allowed companies to the ones with good data integrity to respond faster to mm-hmm. outages, to get their network up and running faster, to understand when a customer calls where they're at and what might be impacting their service. Um, so I think those are, are probably the biggest part of data integrity is, you know, having, um, having accurate information with which to make decisions, which is important in any system. And, and especially when you're supporting a, a network that's, you know, many, many miles or hundreds of miles um, across the, the country or across uh, a geographic area. It's it's important to know before I send someone out you know, on an hour-long drive to a splice closure if that's the right one to go to. And yeah. In our industry, that happens a lot, costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. and, and also increases churn. So those, that's why it's important, I think, to help companies get there. So how do you, how do you get accurate data? I think, um, you know, you, you get easy-to-use tools that people want to use. I think you have mobile applications because oftentimes your users in the field are your most knowledgeable. Uh, they know the most about the network as far as, you know, where is it at? How's it hooked up? So tapping into that information so that as they're out there, as they're thinking about it, as it's top of mind, they can enter that information in a very quick and easy format so that people in the office can capture it for, you know, for using in the future. So, I think data integrity is really important from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And and like we mentioned, uh, the previous podcast in this feed. So if you uh, get to the end of this one, just go back one and listen to Jimmy's podcast and uh, it'll go a little bit more in depth on uh, on data integrity, which we're not going to do all of that here today. But uh, but Jimmy obviously did a great job uh, explaining that in the previous episode as well. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> he knows a lot about that. And I, th- I think his one of his big things, and I don't know if he went into it there, is data integrity really starts with the design phase. And I don't know if he, he spoke about that, but we have a lot of companies who they think data integrity starts after the network is turned up. And we really try to push them that while you're designing the network, designing a system that you can maintain it in long term mm-hmm. instead of having to, to do, do data conversion or say, hey, I'll go back and enter that again later. 
um, you know, design it in a system that can can manage the network for the life of the network. So that's that's something we stress to companies who are looking for systems is, is get one that does both. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the fourth pillar is using a single database. Why is this one of the pillars, Dustin? And kind of talk me through the benefits here and why this is on the list. Yeah, I, th- I think this is one we probably wouldn't have initially uh, said if you asked us six years ago, this probably wouldn't have been on our list of, of six pillars. But Interesting. I think the what we've learned over the course of uh, especially the design projects over the last three or four years is having multiple sources of information inevitably means that people don't have all the information they need when they're making a decision. Uh, tying all that together, whether it's, again, drawings in one location and um, tabular data in another, and then more information in uh, a file drawer somewhere, those things are, are very common in our industry. Uh, it's amazing what advanced companies have data in, in all kinds of locations, and they're not tied together. And uh, it takes someone either a long time to get all the information they need to make a decision, or they just never get it. And uh, so having a single source of truth is is what we push our customers to do, mm-hmm. or anyone who asks us really, is make sure whether it's our database or another database that we're working with, that you have one source of truth for most of your network information, and one master of that data. And let one system be the editor of certain parts of it and another system be the editor of other parts, but have it all in one location in one way so that uh, you can use that information for multiple reporting purposes, uh, dashboards, and, and just really get it in the hands of the right people. Because um, those sparse data, keeping those in sync and uh, inevitably becomes a nightmare for IT. And what happens is they just they, they quit doing it after time. Um, you know, if you want poll information, you go to this system. If you want splicing information, you go to this system. If you want, you know, customer information, you go to this system. Rather than having some some systems that are a single location for the data that you go to for answers, which is what they really want. Right. Right. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense to me. Um, and it, it seems that having uh, having those components always in sync feels like uh, that would be hugely beneficial in that way. It is, yeah. It really, again, goes back to response time. It allows them to go to one location really quickly. And and we found that's a, I don't know if it's a requirement, benefit, what you would categorize it as, but it's uh, it's very important. Definitely. Well, okay, let's uh, let's move on to the fifth of our six pillars. We are, uh, we're trucking through this. So the fifth <laughs> is output. <laughs> so why is this on the list and uh, what are the benefits for output? Yeah, output, uh, historically has been, it's funny, you would, you would think that um, a lot of people say you start with the end in mind. And I think a lot of times we've uh, neglected to look at how to get this information out in ways for people to consume it. And output to us really means, um, you know, it could be printed, which is you know, a little bit old school, but it's what a lot of people in our industry still use and still need. Mm-hmm. And so I think output is is critical and you have to think of output while you're in inputting the data and, and then that goes back to how powerful a GIS is if you know GIS can automate a lot of the data input when you're placing something on the map and that results in really good reporting on down the line when when that report comes out and it has all the information that the, the field user needs or the customer service agent needs or the sales rep needs to get their information uh, to make decisions with that's that's where it starts. It starts with a really good input. And 
So we focused a lot the last, I would say, three years on output. Mm -hmm. uh, still a lot of more work to do be done, but output is very dis um, diverse across the world. And we work in many geographic locations. I think we have customers on six continents. So we're, we're, we're looking for that company in Antarctica to give a license to just to be able to say <laughs> we have all of them. But we have um, lots of different reporting needs. So what what we've seen is one of the important parts of reporting is the ability to build your own reports, the ability to customize your output or configure your output to do things like build materials or signal reports or schematic views. Customers really, they, they know when they're going in what they want as output. And you've got to be able to help them either slightly adjust their expectations or, um, you know, really fit their need with some configurable or custom reporting to help them get this information out because uh, a great single database that's easy to put data into that everyone loves to use is you know, only partly useful if you can't get their reports out you need in a timely fashion. So I think a, an important part of that, Tyler, is really making sure that systems don't have it in some proprietary format that you can't just use SQL or something to query up and get what you need out of mm -hmm. worst case scenario. Hopefully they've got you know an elegant report builder that other people can go to and use, but um, you know, short of that, is it in an open database structure that people can just, you know, you get someone who knows what they're doing, get in there and get the access to information using crystal reports or some kind of tableau or something that really lets them get the reporting out. So, right. Just the openness is, is really important when you come out with the output. Definitely, definitely. Now, the sixth and final pillar of our six pillars is usability. And to me, it feels like we've touched on usability in a couple of different uh, previous pillars. Um, and you could correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it feels like we've, we've touched on usability a little bit already, but this does feel like an important aspect of this. So kind of walk me through some of the benefits um, for you know factoring in usability into a robust network management system. You're right. I think usability goes across all, all the different pillars, right? If, if it's not use, uh, easy to use and easy to learn, then the rest of it really won't matter much because you won't have any data in it. So uh, historically, I think I'm I'm almost uh, too young to, to remember, but I, I think most corporations gave an application to a person and said, use this. You know, I don't care what you think about it. Don't care you know, if it's easy to use or not. This is your tool, use it. And the expectation was that that person used it and, and did as you know, efficient of a job as they could. I, I've seen, you know, managing lots of different uh, age groups now that getting buy-in is a little bit more important, and which I think is a good thing. I think that puts the onus on software companies like us that say, look, you know, you've got to design me an application that my people not only will use, but, you know, see... Think it's easy, think, you know. See the benefit of it, um, understand it quickly without, you know, weeks of training because nobody can afford weeks of training and nobody's going to sit through weeks of training. So, right, that's where we go back when we go back to usability. Is um, one is it a simple interface that doesn't intimidate you when you log in? You know, that goes back to the web web structure being a web browser, kind of gets you off on the right foot. Mm -hmm. um, I think the second part is being configurable so that. As a person logs in, as a, let's say, a, a customer service representative, they don't have network operations tools cluttering their view. So how do you configure it so that the user, when they log in, they have the buttons they need and not a lot else? And 
the symbology, what's on the map, how it looks, makes sense to them. You know, they again, I'm a customer service agent. I don't really care where, you know, your um, your extra conduit is. I need to know how to get service to this customer, and if we're close enough to them, so giving them things that make sense to them and not a lot else. And I think the last one's just really how easy is it to train them on. So um, again, nobody really wants to spend weeks or even days in an office location getting trained. I think most of us, Tyler, I don't know if you play video games or anything like that, but... I've dabbled. You dabbled? Yeah, so... <laughs> you know. Uh, th- that's been an inspiration for us is, you know, some of us, I, me included, I, I play video games. And, <laughs> um, but you log into a video game and it walks you through how to start playing. You know, they don't come with user manuals anymore, mm-hmm. but software too often comes with big, thick user manuals and days of training. And uh, that training is a lot of times out of context. I'm teaching you how to use this tool, but not necessarily how to do your job. And so usability really starts with how quick and easy can you help me figure out how to do my job? Not a lot of tools I'm never going to use, but how do I do my job? And so we'll go back to the video game instances. I, you know, if I, if it's a first person shooter, how do I shoot people? How do I duck? How do I crawl? How do I pick mm-hmm. up things? And not, you know, not a lot else. And that, that's kind of what we're trying to get back to with in-app help. And I, I hope more of our industry would adopt this is, you know, you log into the tool for the first time and it walks you through how to do certain things. And you open up a new tool for the first time. And it walks you how through that, tool. I didn't have to get training on that tool six months ago because I never used it until now. But now that I opened up, I can walk through training on it. Right. Or I can get online and get an online module just for that tool because, this is, again, this is the first time I'm having to use that. So now I want to, or I want to refresh my memory. So a lot of the usability goes into the training aspect of it as well. But uh, even the best training, I guess, is, is a fruitless if you make an overcomplicated application that uh, people don't want to use. So yeah, you know, it sounds to me, and you can tell me if if I'm off base here, but it sounds like you want to put something in people's hands that is not is not so unfamiliar from the way that they interact with the world in general, right? And so you want to put something in their hands that looks familiar, that looks like, oh yeah, I I know how this works, or I at least have a familiarity with it on some level, right? Correct. Yeah, you give them a comfort, right, so that they. Even if they don't know how to use it, they're willing to explore it and, and try to figure it out versus uh, cutting it back off and, and going back to that piece of paper that they're used to using or that Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet. So I think Tom Counts is uh, one of the quotes he has is you never want to intimidate the user. You want to encourage them to explore, create, and dig deeper. And and that's kind of what we try to go back to is um, let's, let's give them the freedom uh, to to explore and use the system, and which means oftentimes building in safeguards and and. Um, to prevent them from editing the data incorrectly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's, again, that's another onus that we as a software company are willing to take on, and I hope our compared to, to, to build systems that people can explore and, and can um, feel free to use without fear of messing something up. And um, it goes in, again, just into how you design the system and the, the configurable controls you give to each type of user. I mean, my admin should have access to be able to edit things, but my... Customer service agent may just be able to query up and see things. And, and you just need to build those things in on the forefront so that companies don't have to create processes around your tools that are, are just inadequate to, to the jobs they need done. So. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, so, hey, Dustin, let's let's recap. So the first pillar uh, okay. of uh, a modern, robust network system, uh, network management system is that it's web-based. The second was uh, geographic information systems or GIS platforms. Uh, the third is data integrity. Fourth is single database. Fifth is output. And the sixth pillar was usability that we just discussed. And when, when you discuss pillars, I suppose that, you know, when I think of the way that a building is constructed, right, you can't have a pillar that's bigger than another or smaller than the rest and that sort of thing. So uh, do you view these pillars as all, you know, equal in terms of importance when it comes to, you know, building that robust network management system? We do on average, I think, uh, to some companies, some are slightly bigger than others. But when you look across, um, you take a normalization of the service providers and their different use cases, you know, as a whole, they are pretty equal. Um, but lots of companies on fiber networks these days, utility companies are supporting SCADA. You've got cities rolling out municipal fiber networks and you've got some people like, you know, Facebook or Amazon with their private networks. And um, so lots of people have different uses and some of them, you know, may creep up on importance. If I only got two users and usability might not be as big of an issue as if I got a thousand. Sure. But, um, but I think on the whole, yes, we, if you don't have one of these pillars to, to some extent, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a uh, less than efficient system and, and probably, you know, over the long haul, whether it's today because things are going great or tomorrow because COVID-19 broke out, um, you know, at some point not having one of those pillars and, and giving good thought to it as an organization will have impacts. Absolutely. Well, there you have it from the expert himself, the six pillars to a robust network management system. Dustin Sutton, the president of 3GIS. Dustin, thank you so much for joining me today and, uh, and running down this list and, uh, and educating our, our listeners on, uh, on these pillars. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate you having me. I feel like I spoke a lot, but I, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, hopefully and there's some tidbits in there for everybody that uh, they can use for, for thinking about their next uh, network management system. Absolutely. Well, you, you carried this thing. And so I appreciate it very much. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Fiberside Chat. We do appreciate you listening. We mentioned it earlier on in the in the episode, but go back and listen to previous episodes. You know, if you hit subscribe, you'll see all the previous episodes. So you can go back, listen to uh, Jimmy's episode where he talked a little bit more about data integrity and uh, make sure you just explore everything that's there in the Fiberside Chat channel, be it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, however you listen to podcasts these days, or if you're just online, you know, go find more episodes of Fiberside Chat there as well. Thank you again, everybody, so much for listening today. Like I mentioned before, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. We'll be back soon with more episodes, but until then, have a good day.